0: Welcome to PathPod, I'm Dr. Mike Arnold of Children's Hospital Colorado and this is our next edition of the PathPod Quiz Show. Your hosts today are Dr. Sarah Jang of Duke University, she's on Twitter at S-A-R-A underscore J-I-A-N-G, and Dr. Christina Arnold of the University of Colorado, she's on Twitter at C-Arnold underscore G-I. Please welcome your hosts, Sarah and Christina.
1: Hi, guys. Hello, everybody. And that was our amazing announcer, scorekeeper, Dr. Mike Arnold, who's on Twitter at marnold underscore feed path. I'm so excited. I love the ability to showcase how fun pathology is and also torture some of our special guests. So speaking of our special guests, today we have Philip Hurst, who is a medical student. He is on Twitter at path. Oh Phil, I love that. I love that. You're your own special cell type. Our resident guest is Lisa Zhang, who is on Twitter at M Lisa Zhang, C-H-A-N-G. And our pathologist, full-fledged pathologist guest is Susie Dinsis, who is on Twitter at Susie, S-U-Z-Y D-I-N-T-Z-I-S. Welcome everybody.
2: Welcome. Thank Hi, thanks for having us.
1: So how is everyone doing in this exciting pandemic time?
3: Well, I have a joke.
2: If you Ooh, want to hear my yes, joke. Yes, I'd love
1: to hear Please. your joke. Okay,
3: so what do you call a remote meeting with me? I don't know. What do you call it? You call it social distancing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have
3: That's to give good. creds to yeah. my... Um, My daughter's boyfriend, she always demands creds for for, the jokes. (laughs) I think it's very important that we attribute creative
1: things and jokes appropriately. So um, I know that we have to congratulate Dr. Hurst on recently becoming a full-fledged doctor. So congrats. How have things been? Welcome to Pathology,
2: Dr. Hurst.
4: Very exciting. The only thing I will say about the exciting times of this pandemic is it's not a very fun time to try to move across the country.
1: Ooh, oh my gosh. So, so tell Can us a little bit know. about where you are now and where you're going to be going.
4: Sure. I am in Morgantown, West Virginia. I just graduated from West Virginia University and uh, I'll be moving to Rochester, Minnesota for my residency at the Mayo Clinic.
5: Fabulous. Congrats. All tell great. us about something yeah. surprising about this moving process.
4: I don't know if any of it's very surprising, but I just have struggled to get a lot of things done from like going to banks or going to the DMV. So it's uh, hopefully before July 1st rolls around, I'll be able to get a lot of those things done.
5: Are you driving out to Mayo?
4: Yes. Yeah. Actually, I already moved a lot of my stuff via U-Haul. And, and we, were, we didn't want to fly or be in an airport. So we drove out there and rented a car and drove back.
3: Well, good luck. How was your actual graduation? Or did you have one?
4: We made a little pre-recorded video where the deans of the medical school read off all of our names. We got to contribute a slide with a photo or a thank you note to put on the screens. And then they also allowed us to recite the Hippocratic Oath. So.
3: Aww. strange times, strange times,
1: strange times. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Lisa. You're up in Boston. How
2: are things going for you? So I am a fourth year APCP resident at Massachusetts General Hospital, and I will be, I guess a little bit about myself is I will be staying at Mass General to do actually a two year combined fellowship in GI pathology and cytopathology starting in July i have no idea what july is going to look like at all but i'm still very excited and otherwise we have really been taking advantage of doing a lot of new remote learning activities in our department
1: you have a new paper coming out on the topic so we're really excited about that and that's in
2: cancer cytopath correct yeah so um it was a great opportunity and it sort of came about because as as we started doing more remote learning, a lot of different types of issues and considerations came up, such as making sure that training faculty all have adequate access to things like, you know, computers, cameras, microphones, good internet connections, things that we might assume or take for granted, but that not everyone may have access to, in addition to sort of logistics of how slide sessions or sign outs are held. You're a chief as
1: well, right? So you probably had a really big role in structuring that. I'm sure that they have appreciated having you on board for that.
2: Oh, thank you. It's been a really unexpected time as chief. (laughs) Certainly the pandemic is a big
1: challenge for all of us. But I think one of the great things that's come out of it is we've all gotten to innovate more, think more about ways to educate and continue teaching our learners. And one of the things that we've come together and seen happen due to the leadership of Dr. Mirza is virtual path elective for medical students. And I think that many of us are involved in helping to create this initiative. And actually, PathPod itself originally came from this path elective idea, it spun off as I wanted to have a pathology quiz show. And I'm so (laughs) thankful that Christina Arnold and Mike Arnold were willing to help me with this and make it happen. And it's kind of grown into so much more than just a nerdy pathology quiz show, which is what I initially wanted to do. (laughs) And it's been a way to share stories from pathologists across the country. And I think From the perspective of, you know, we are all social distancing, but to be able to communicate with each other, tell our story, and showcase all the things that we love about being
5: pathologists
1: in the field has been a really great opportunity to reach out and engage.
5: We were just talking today about there are some medical schools who don't have pathology departments, and that there are students who are looking for going out elsewhere to do their pathology elective and now they can't do that and so there's a little concern that maybe with this coronavirus the COVID shut down, restrict, education being restricted, that it might impact the number of people who get to go into pathology just because it's going to impact the number of people who get to experience pathology. So Dr. Cameron Mirza came up with this idea of a virtual path elective that allows medical students to ex- still explore pathology in a very formal way, just as if they were on site or, you know, very similar to as if you were on site on a medical campus, being able to go through modules and learn about every part of anatomic and clinical pathology, take quizzes, get certifications, have simulated sign out. So it's not maybe the same thing as actually being right next to a pathologist, but it's real close to it. So we're really excited to be able to be a part of something that's going to potentially help keep our field growing.
3: That's so super, super cool. So we're actually doing a completely remote medical student pathology elected at the University of Washington right now. We had maybe six um, medical students every month. But when COVID hit, the School of Medicine asked, can you, can you accommodate more? And we said, well, we could. And they said, how about 40? Wow. <laughs> so three of our junior faculty, Lisa Cook, Libby Parker, and Oliver Chang, quickly put together a completely remote pathology course. We had over 70 medical students signed up into, wow. into three elective blocks. The experience here is that it's not just second and third years, so we also have fourth years. They've already decided that they're not going to do pathology, but their feedback was incredibly positive because now they understand what it is that we do. Mm -hmm. And they thought that it should be a mandatory course. I agree. I agree too. I agree. (laughs)
5: Because even if you don't do pathology, You will be a better doctor if you know how to access pathology, you know how to work the lab, and you know how to get your results, and you know what the report
3: means. And you know how to order the correct tests. Yes.
4: Another thing, kind of along with the Path Elective, Dr. Mirza has also worked with a handful of students on Twitter to create a virtual pathology interest group for students, which I think kind of meshes really well with this because there's a lot of students like myself who came from a school where I was the only student in my class who was going into pathology. No students in the class above me went into pathology. So it's a really great opportunity to network and to understand what other pathology departments or what other interest groups are doing around the country and kind of have a good idea of what you're getting yourself into. The full name of the is the Virtual Pathology Student Interest Group, and the handle on Twitter is path underscore S I G. That same handle is uniform across pretty much all social media. So we have an Instagram, we're on Reddit, we're on Facebook. I think we're working on a TikTok, pretty much as many platforms as we have been able to find, we're trying to develop something for it.
5: Wonderful.
1: Awesome. Pathology is taking over. Our pathologist guest is Dr. Dinsis, who we are social d- Dinsising with. It's a little hard to say that. So tell us about how things are going in your neck of the woods. You are over at UW, and we have definitely seen a lot of UW in terms of innovating and testing.
3: Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. So we were very early, early adopters in testing, mostly just because it hit here first. And the Uh, Professor and Chair of Laboratory Medicine, Jeff Baird, I think was a national hero. He got testing up and running as soon as it was possible, as soon as it became legal. Their testing capacity has actually exceeded the volume now for several weeks. They have also started serologic testing onboarded several weeks ago. So they're doing a lot of really interesting clinical work, but also research at the same time. Can you tell us how many tests you all do a day? I know that they're up to many thousands capacity. Really? Wow. And they were doing something Mm -hmm. like 2,500 to 3,000, but their capacity is more than that. The issue of course is the supply side. So it's the collection material that's been rate limiting rather than the actual capacity Mm -hmm. of testing here. And that has been true, I think nationwide.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you know what that pager means. It's time to play our first game. Our first game is going to be Dr. Zhang playing a mythology resident game. Days are getting longer, you know, the flowers are out, the allergies are bad. And for many of us, uh, especially in rural areas, I know that the COVID pandemic has led to an increase in homesteading type activities like gardening. And this mythology game is inspired in part by some of the plants that some of us are planting these days. So each question is going to ask about a pathology finding, but every one of these answers is gonna have a type of fruit in the name. So for instance, I'll give you an example. If I told you Klebsiella species pneumonia is classically associated with a cough productive of this type of sputum, named after a preserve you might put on a scone or according to the internet, cold meat. The answer would be current jelly sputum. Clear as mud? Yes, clear yes. as clear as current jelly sputum. All right, you ready to play? Yeah. And let's remember, just so we know what the stakes are, if you get enough right in this game, you will get a limited edition half pod clear ruler and be the envy of all your friends and enemies. And right. enemies. And enemies. Ooh, yes. That's yes. why I'm here. <laughs> So let's start. So the first question is, Granny Smith, anyone? This finding is characteristic of amyloid when subjected to polarized light microscopy on a Congo red stain. That's apple green birefringence. Excellent. That's exactly, exactly right. And I know you're interested in cytopathology. So in cytopathology, we see a lot of samples looking for amyloid depositions you're doing great all right ready for the next one yep a common descriptor for a cellular feature of melanoma is named for a delicious small stone fruit which you might find baked into a pie at your local diner which hopefully is still
2: open for takeout Um, cherry red nucleoli excellent excellent I'm actually really excited because I think it's now finally cherry season, and I got my first bag of cherries this past weekend, so there's
1: that. You are doing fabulous, two for two. All right, so next one. This is not just the cause of deep disappointment when present, sneakily masquerading as a chocolate chip in a cookie. This is also a descriptor for a nucleus in a squamous epithelial cell experiencing HPV viral cytopathic effect.
2: Raisinoid? Yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly.
1: So, raisinoid nuclei seen, of course, in coilocytes with HPV viral cytopathic effect. I personally hate raisins because every time I have eaten an oatmeal raisin cookie, it was because I actually wanted to eat a chocolate chip cookie.
2: Yes, right. I see that's a lot of nods. exactly how I felt as a child. Yes, <laughs> so you guys know what I'm our, talking
5: about. I want to say oatmeal raisins is my fave. I know I'm a little oh, bit no. of a uh, But I would like to segue our discussion into cookie dough because mm-hmm. that's really the only reason why I make cookies. <laughs> to eat that dough. Yes.
4: Just the other day I had a tweet about eating raw cookie dough in my kitchen while I was procrastinating from packing. <laughs>
5: Yes. Yes. What, what was the flavor?
4: It was, it was snickerdoodle Ooh. cookie dough. Ooh. Ooh.
1: a good one. If you're going to get salmonella, I figure you might as well do it by eating something delicious and I. Healthy. That's what I
5: say. I said, it is worth it. This tastes it's so good. am having it. I'm enjoying it so by much. By the way, this
1: does not constitute medical advice. <laughs> Please don't listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Where were we in the game? So Dr. Zeg is doing great. You are three for three. We've got just two more and you are so, so close to getting your own clear path pod ruler. All right. So next question. This condition, gastric antral vascular ectasia is also known by this moniker evoking a striped fruit associated with summer picnics due to the characteristic striped appearance of the gastric mucosa on endoscopy.
2: This is my favorite thing. This is watermelon stomach. And watermelons are my favorite fruit. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So why is it your favorite? It's because watermelons are my favorite fruit. And I recently had the pleasure of seeing some cases of Gave with the fibrin thrombi. And it's just really exciting to be able to recognize that now. Perfect.
1: Isn't it so great when you see a case and it's just, it, the case has read the textbook like we say, yes. you put it down, <laughs> oh God, you funny. look at the slide. It is just, certainly as an educator, it is, I know we always get so excited when you're seeing one of these cases with a resident or med student right. and it's just got this classic finding.
5: Now Dr. <laughs> Zing, I have a question. So you are going to be a GI fellow, correct? Yes. So this is right in your wheelhouse. So Gabe is often in the differential portal hypertensive gastropathy, which also has a very characteristic endoscopic finding. Do you know what that is? Is that the snake skin? There you (laughs) go, Dr. Zhang. snake skin. So in my book, we went to a pet store so I could take a picture of a snake so I could put it right next to that. I love, don't you love that about pathology? All of these pictures are just so memorable. (laughs) So
1: Dr. Zhang, you are doing great. We are down to your last question. You've gotten every single one, right? And so this is the last one. So no, this is not a type of hard candy or a sugar rimmed cocktail. This is a morphologic descriptor for the shape of some uric acid crystals seen in urine cytology. Not a sweet treat by any means. Is this a shape? It's a, shape, yes. oh. it's a shape, yes. It's the shape of a uric acid crystal. It's oh. like when life gives you them, you might make a sugary drink out of it instead like of lemon. Yes, yes. So okay. the answer is a lemon drop. They have these little oh. little pointy ends, and they're often described as lemon drops. So excellent, Dr. Zeng, you did you. great on our fruit game. And a limited edition half pod ruler will be coming your way. Thank you Yay. so much for playing. Thank you. So let's move on to the next segment. So for this portion of the game, we are going to subject our special guest to the Bluff the Guest game. And our medical student and resident guests have been kind enough to help us with this game. So what's gonna happen, each of our other guests is going to tell two truths and a lie about either themselves or pathology. And Dr. Densis will try to figure out which one is a lie. All right. Let's get started with Lisa. Go for it. Try to stump our guest.
2: The first one is that I first met our host Sarah when I was in elementary school. The second one is that I double majored in biomedical engineering and philosophy in college a little bit of science, a little bit of humanities. And the third is that I started learning ballroom dancing during residency because, you know, I have so much free time during residency. So those are my three facts. Those are very great
3: facts, all of them. And truth is often weirder than fiction, right? So, But I can't, I can't believe that you could possibly be old enough or young enough, whichever one it is. Sarah is not old enough there, to have no new elementary schools, impossible. So I think I'm getting, I'm guessing that that's, that's not true.
1: All right. Well, so it's actually a funny story. So Lisa and I actually go way, way back. So we both spent some time growing up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And our families actually knew each other back in the day. And so I first met the future Dr. Zang when she was in elementary school. And she was super, super smart back then. I, I didn't even know I was going to be a pathologist or a doctor when we first met. And it's just been wonderful to reconnect and find her in the same field that I love so very much.
2: When I started medical school, I also thought I was not going to do pathology either. And here I am. so how did you pick pathology Lisa? So um, a little bit of just luck I guess Um, when I started doing my clerkships I actually started off with a two-month elective and I couldn't actually do anything because I didn't fulfill any of the prereqs for most electives and I just looked into things and I was like oh pathology I'm gonna go into that and see what that's like and I actually did two months of combined autopsy and surgical pathology, and I loved it, and I felt so lucky that that was my first clerkship, so very it, it
5: really brings us back to, you know, students who might not be able to do something else if, if the only virtual path, elective they have is in pathology, maybe we will yeah. see more,
2: choose it. So the lie is that I double majored in biomedical engineering and philosophy in college. I actually was a double major. I was actually a biology and music double major in college. There was a little bit of science and a little bit of arts, something else, but it was not those two things. What was your instrument? Uh, I played violin.
0: So Lisa, this means you really got into ballroom dancing and residency. How did that happen?
2: I did. (laughs) um it was actually i think the beginning of my second year of residence was looking for something else to do outside of work that i could kind of just forget about pathology Mm -hmm. for a bit and i you know googled dancing in the boston area and i went to check out a studio and i got really into it and i've even danced at a few local shows
1: wow that's amazing i I would like to
2: see a picture of that
0: yes Uh, (laughs) i feel i feel some cover art coming on
1: So you successfully stumped Dr. Densis. Dr. Hurst, it is your turn.
0: All right. So
4: I have three little snippets, and I'm going to start them all with once upon a time, because I think that adds to the intrigue. So once upon a time, I was swimming at a beach in Uruguay, and while I was in the water, somebody came along on the beach and stole my bag that had all of my belongings in it including my passport, my camera, everything. Consequently, I was stranded and I had to take a bus across the country to the capital where I could go to the US embassy and get a new passport and go back to Argentina where I was staying. Once upon a time, when I was 5 years old, I was playing with some of my older cousins in my parents' basement and, you know, roughhousing, horse playing, jumping on each other, and I went to jump on my cousin's shoulders. And right as I did that, he bent down to pick something up, and I went hurling into the wall, and I broke my left forearm. And last one, once upon a time, when I was 21 years old, I completed a roughly 75,000-word young adult novel about superhero teenagers who had to save the world when their superhero parents were unable to do it, and I finished that when I, or I started writing that rather, when I was a freshman in college.
3: Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a lot of detail in some of those. Yes. I'm wondering, oh, so I'm trying God. to figure out strategy. Yes. Is the detail just to throw you off? Uh, it's really challenging. I mean, the five-year-old broken forearm, every parent knows that that happens all the time. So I, I don't <laughs> think that's false. The Uruguay bag, my gosh, that was so detailed. I'm thinking that you are trying to trick me. So I'm going with the, the Uruguay stolen bag and escapade as false.
4: That is true. I did oh get stranded oh, in Uruguay. Gonna
3: <laughs> I'm going to be really upset.
4: <laughs> um, yes, I did get stranded in Uruguay. Um, I was studying abroad in Chile, actually, and... From Chile, we were taking a short trip to Argentina, and from Argentina, we were taking a day trip to Uruguay, and during that day trip, me and two of my classmates' belongings were all stolen, and one of our professors had to, you know, pay for us to travel across the country, to get to the embassy. We had nothing but the clothes on our back, oh and then gosh. we were able to get back to Argentina. So that was true.
5: Oh, wow: the False
4: one. And this is where I got you. I have never broken a bone oh in my, my body. <laughs> but that story happened to my brother. So that's why I was able to put oh. in all those details.
3: Well, wow, you guys. Wow. have to congratulate you on your lying ability, which <laughs> I hope will serve you very well. <laughs> that's hilarious.
5: That's hilarious. Oh, I, but you know what? All the details, it was like each of them was an interesting short story that makes it really fits into the part C was also true that you wrote a book. Yes. Right?
4: Yep. I did. I wrote uh, I wrote a novel. Seventy five thousand words is roughly the size of the first Harry Potter book. Oh
5: Oh my god. Have you published
4: it? I have not. I've not Not tried. I don't know if that's something I'm interested in. Maybe someday, but Mm -hmm. not anytime soon.
5: Maybe you want to read it on a podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yes, yes. Let us know if, if and when
1: you ever decide <laughs> to publish it. We can do an interview with the author. Oh, yeah. there you go.
5: <laughs> you can be the Daniel Radcliffe of pathology.
1: I love That's right. it.:
5: awesome. Congratulations. That's really interesting. Well, you know, in pathology, there's lots of opportunities to write. So your skills will come in very handy. Thank you both for
1: stumping Dr. Dinsen) awesome. Because you are such a good sport, we are still going to send you your very own limited edition oh, half pod ruler. I was listening along, and if I didn't actually play a role in one of the truths, there's no way I <laughs> yeah. would have been able to. I would have been stumped. I think, you know, in pathology, being able to tell your story is so important, right? We got to put together the stories of our patients, communicate these stories to our clinicians. Hopefully, the stories you're telling will be true. I think being able to tell a story effectively is a really important skill and you both have it.
5: All right. Well, Phil,
1: are you ready for your game?
4: I am ready as I'm ever going to be.
5: (laughs) All right, Dr. Hurst. I wanted to start by asking you how you picked pathology.
4: Yeah. You know, you'd think I would have a very succinct answer to this after interviewing last fall, but it seems to always change. And that's because there's a lot of reasons. So I think that's a good thing. But the the, briefest, the most brief answer I can say is that it started because one of my best friends is a pathologist's assistant. So she kind of got me interested. And then when I started medical school, I was really just captivated by the histology. I viewed it as another language that I really wanted to learn. I was frustrated that people would look at a slide and describe things they were seeing and I had no idea what they were seeing and I wanted to be able to do that. And so that kind of crept into my mind. And then the other thing that sort of pushed me over was the the wonderful pathologists who taught us in medical school, I just thought were very um, wonderful and inspiring and I loved that they were both excellent physicians and also excellent educators.
5: Wonderful. I really relate to that. So if you couldn't have done pathology, what would your non-pathology medicine career have been?
4: Within medicine? So probably uh, probably ENT.
5: And if you couldn't be a doctor, what would your non-medicine career have looked like?
4: In a perfect world where there are no restrictions? Sure. I would be the host of a Food Network show.
5: Oh, I we love it. have a it, lot of that. foodies and pathology, so I know. We have an audience, a built-in audience. All right, well, in today's medical student quiz show segment, I'm going to read you five board style questions. Provide the correct answer and you win a point. Win enough points and you win a prized PathPod Clear Ruler. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Here we go. Question one Which of the following is not one of the most common infectious causes of ulcerative esophagitis? A, candida, B, herpes virus. C, cytomegalovirus, or D, adenovirus?
4: I'm going to go with D, adenovirus.
5: And that's correct. The top three causes of infectious ulcerative esophagitis are Candida, CMV, and HSV, and in that order. All right, for a bonus point, Dr. Hurst, what are the characteristic features of CMV?
4: Are those the ones that have the owl eye nuclei?
5: Yes, correct. So, cytomegalovirus (CMV) these are really big cells. They have nuclear inclusions that look similar to an owl's eye, and they sometimes have cytoplasmic inclusions as well. Very good, bonus point for you. All right, moving on to question two. We have a biopsy of an anal ulcer. It shows a large cell with molding, nuclear margination, and multinucleation. What is the diagnosis?
4: Could it be? Uh, would that be herpes?
5: That's right. You got another point. Very good. Very good. So herpes virus, you want it for our medical student listeners out there. Remember your three M's. Nuclear molding, where the nuclei hug each other. Nuclear margination, where the chromatin, it looks a little glassy. And multinucleation. Those are characteristic features of herpes.
1: Dr. Hurst, you're doing great with two points and a bonus point.
5: All right. Question three. A 70-year-old man with a long standing history of smoking presents with a hilar mass. The biopsy shows a poorly differentiated malignancy. We also have molding here. We have some nuclear molding, but there's also abundant apoptosis, mitoses, there's prominent crush artifact. All the malignant cells are cytokeratin reactive. What is the diagnosis? A. Adenocarcinoma B. Small cell carcinoma C, squamous cell carcinoma, or D, sarcoid?
4: I feel like I've got it down to 50-50, and I think it's squamous cell.
5: What was the other 50? (laughs) Small cell. Very good. Small cell carcinoma. Right. So pearls for small cell carcinoma for our medical students, characteristic features include that small cell carcinoma often has a higher location these patients present with a history of smoking. Morphologically, we're looking for a poorly differentiated malignancy with nuclear molding, abundant apoptosis and mitoses, and crushed artifact. Supporting stain as the cytokeratin will confirm that these are epithelial cells. Okay, very good. Bonus question. Do you know any syndromes associated with small cell carcinoma? And if you don't, that's okay.
4: I it's... don't think anything is coming to mind.
5: Let me throw this out there just to... Put this in your memory, and for medical students out there, it's Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and that presents with muscle weakness. Isn't that a good bonus one? I mean, it's really tough, but I had to to make some of these tough. Tough indeed, but Dr. Hurst is doing great with four points. Great. You're doing excellent. Let's go into question four. What term describes when a differentiated cell is replaced by another cell type that is better adapted to withstand the local environmental stresses? A, is that term hypertrophy? B, atrophy? C, metaplasia? Or D, apoptosis?
4: I'll go with C, metaplasia.
5: Excellent. That's right. Metaplasia is a term that describes when a differentiated cell is replaced by another type of cell that is better adapted to withstand the local environmental stresses. All right, Dr. Hurst, you answered that very quickly. I must challenge you with a bonus opportunity. What is the most common type of epithelial metaplasia?
4: Would that be Barrett's esophagus?
5: I wish it was. That's my oh. favorite type of metaplasia because that's where you have a metaplasia, the squamous to columnar mucosa and the distal esophagus. I actually just learned this myself when I was reading Robbins last night. The most common type of epithelial metaplasia is columnar to squamous metaplasia and the respiratory tract in response to chronic irritation. Hmm. that's news to me too. right, this last one to anyone who's not in medical school is going to sound obscenely difficult, but for those taking (laughs) the board, you'll know you are asked this kind of question. I actually remember this from my board exam. So this one's a hard one, but you're going to love it. Question number five, a patient is determined to have died from a myocardial infarction or a heart attack. On gross inspection, the heart has a focus of central yellowing with peripheral hyperemia and softening. The histologic sections show macrophages and granulation tissue. How long ago was the myocardial infarction?
4: (laughs) No multiple choice for this one?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yes. A, one day. B, two to four days. C, five to ten days. D, two to eight weeks.
4: I'm going to go with five to ten days.
5: Right, you you want another point? Very <laughs> good. So five to ten days. You're expecting you to see central yellowing with the peripheral hyperemia, and on histologic sections, you'll see macrophages and granulation tissue. And that's the end of this game, Dr. Hurst. Congratulations, you have six points, which means
1: you have won this game.
5: Excellent job, Dr. Hurst, for playing and winning this round of PathPod Quiz Show Med School Edition. Your clear ruler is on its way.
4: Oh, amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Those questions were hard. I don't think that I knew. That the most common type of epithelial metaplasia was columnar squamous metaplasia in the respiratory tract. Isn't that fascinating? fascinating. I'm fascinated, just, but now know. I know. Yeah, and it just goes to show as
5: pathologists. It's all about lifelong learning. Dr. Hurst, next time you host a dinner party, make sure you pull out that piece of information. <laughs> you are going to just really start a great conversation.
4: Oh, I am so sure. <laughs>
5: <laughs> please, please, tell us all about it. All right, Dr. Hurst, it's that time I have to ask you what are you going to do now?
4: Well, I'm definitely going to show off my path pod ruler to all of my friends and enemies. But I think <laughs> I might have to like chain it around my neck or something so mm. that nobody tries to steal it.
1: Thank you both for playing. I think the future of pathology is
4: really, really, really bright.
1: We're almost to the end of our show. And that means it's your opportunity, Dr. Dinses, to turn the tables on Christina and I. So our special guest is going to take this time and bring us some exciting, fun facts and trivia to stump Christina and I. So I, I'm
3: looking forward to hearing what you have
1: brought. It's go time. All right.
3: So I listened to the very first quiz show where Frank Ingram talked about botany. Done. And I thought, okay, well, how about veterinary pathology? Oh, my goodness. And anatomy and histology and so this is my model it's well you can't see it because you're you're doing a podcast but I'm (laughs) showing them I'm showing them a little stuffed mouse and when I started my position at the University of Washington back in 2008 a bunch of biomedical researchers would bring me mouse tissue their mouse models of human disease and say could you please look at these to assess pathology, either the infection or the genetic? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to look at mouse tissue. How much fun would that be? And I quickly realized there was no way that I could evaluate pathology because I didn't know what normal looked like.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I thrashed about looking to try to find out how I could learn normal. And at that time, there wasn't really very much. So I went to the Department of Comparative Medicine which a lot of medical schools have, which is the veterinary pathologists. And I talked with Hypertruding, who does research in genetically modified rodents. And we both decided we had to write the book. So we did. We wrote a textbook on comparative anatomy and histology between mice and humans. And wow. so every chapter is authored both by a pathologist and a veterinary pathologist and they're side-by-side oh, comparison. Cool. We have wow. normal mouse and normal human histology and anatomy. Uh, we even netterized the mouse. So we have Frank netter human drawings and then we have our mm. own netterized mouse. Wow. Wow. So, that's an extremely that long amazing. way of saying I have some fun and interesting mouse questions Ooh. for you that I've picked out. So Mostly I'm a breast and GYN pathologist, so we have to start with mammary glands. We don't call them breast on mouse. How many nipples does a female mouse have? I'll give you multiple choice. Yes. Okay. Six, eight, 10, or 12?
1: You know, the number that I had in my brain was eight. I don't know why. 12. You had 12, huh? What's so just each pick. Let's just each pick and see. How about do you average? We average. Oh, is the correct answer 10? It's 10. Oh, <laughs> see the wisdom <laughs> of the crowd. You know that the game the where, where you give like a, there's a jar full of peanuts or something and you have a crowd of 300 people and everyone gives their guests. And yes. when you do that? The guess. Gets really yeah. average. Gets really close to the answer. So we just demonstrated the same principle
5: technique. The you know, dogs. I was really glad that you didn't list an option as an odd number, like <laughs> three, <laughs> five. <laughs>
3: Female mice have ten nipples. How about male mice?
1: Uh, I would guess the same amount, just like humans, but I feel like the feel
3: answer like might be zero. <laughs> it's a trick question. Male mice lack nipples. You know, See, this is good cocktail conversation, this right? It's good cocktail. So they actually involute embryologically and female mice don't develop their lobules. So they're called terminal asinine until they're pregnant. So you can't oh, distinguish wow. uh, Immature mouse until it's pregnant. So that's... Wow. Mouse, right? It is so, fascinating. Right? We're going to move on to... Should we do GI? Obviously,
1: so, for Dr. Arnold.
3: Yes. And Dr. Zang. Lisa can and join Dr. Yes, exactly. The first question... Well, first of all, just a, a fun fact, mice can't vomit. Oh. Um, so you were talking earlier about Barrett's. Do you know, do mice have a Z-line? I don't know. It turns out the mouse stomach has two grossly distinct regions the fore stomach which is squamous and the glandular distal stomach and they actually have um, keratinized esophageal mucosa which makes sense when you think about what they eat wow right so they're eating a lot of pretty scratchy food right otherwise you could denude the lining yeah. of the esophagus. So they're keratinized squamous, pretty thickly keratinized, like orthokeratotic. Wow. Squamous epithelium, but they do not have a Z-line. Huh. We have a
5: lesion in the esophagus called es- esophageal metaplasia, leukoplagia, where in a human, it becomes a little bit like skin. But that's abnormal, and that's associated with squamous neoplasia.
3: Fascinating. It's a Fascinating. metaplasia. Dum-dum-dum. You're blowing
5: my mind.
3: Wow. Yes. Wow. What about appendix? Do mice Appendice. have appendixes, appendices? Gosh, they'd be so small. <laughs> I, I, I'm
1: i going to say no. Adorable. I'm adorable. No, the world's so tiniest
3: adorable. So, so mice lack appendices, but interestingly, the cecum is huge. So relative to the rest of their GI tract, mice have a really, really, really big functionally blind sac cecum, and it's used to ferment. So that's how they ferment their chow or whatever you call (laughs) it, mouse food. And I I have to think about the fact is maybe our cecum, um, why do we have a cecum? Yeah. And maybe the appendix is just kind of a regressing Uh, mm pouch. I don't know. It's just a thought. Wow. Wow.
5: I am blown away.
3: Yeah, I love, I love this more, because,
1: more, more, you more. know, there's, there's, um, there's some veterinary pathologists I follow on Twitter and I have learned such interesting yes from them about animals. And
5: this is great. This They'll is show so us cool. the histology of normal that looks nothing like us, like right. our normal. And it just blows my
3: mind. You do really need to know that every animal, of course, is very different.
2: So if you go into veterinary pathology, do you have to choose to specialize in certain types of animals? Because I imagine it would be so hard to keep all those normals straight. We just have to learn one species normal. Exactly. They think we have it pretty easy.
3: Wow. <laughs> Last question. You ready? I don't know. So we, we did I a, don't want
5: it to end. <laughs> I know. This
3: is great. We did a female focused with the breast. So I thought we have to be balanced. So, how about a male focus? This is a true or false. The mouse penis has a bone. Silence. I wish you could see all our faces
1: right now. <laughs> <laughs> all our faces
3: are just like.
5: This is pathology. We are professionals. We're professionals. And I, this reminds me of something I meant to say when you were talking about, we have to know what normal is before we know what abnormal is. And for our medical students and our students to be residents, that is key. You can't learn pathology and study disease until you know what normal is. So make sure you enjoy those times. It's really important to build your thresholds. And now I'm going to throw it back to Dr. Jing for the answer. Why me?
1: I'm not a geopathologist. <laughs> I'm a head and neck pathologist and a cytopathologist. I like True because I think it, that makes it more interesting. And, mm-hmm. and Why not?
3: It, yeah, why not? <laughs> well, we won't get into it. <laughs> but <laughs> True, and it's called Os Penis. Interestingly, also in mice, penis is also a site for polyarteritis. Oh, Oh, wow! that's so sad. It's not easy being a mouse. It's It's not not easy. easy. It's not easy easy being a mouse. But Um, I did have to just agree with Christina, too, about early exposure to histology, how important that is. And it's actually why I'm a pathologist, because my mom, who's probably going to listen to this, hi, mom was a histology professor at Johns Hopkins, where she taught the medical students. And my first exposure to um, looking at slides was when mom hired me in high school to organize the histology slide sets for the medical students. Wow. Yeah, so mom made me organize these sets. Every medical student got a wooden box with a hundred glass slides, all of the different normal human uh, tissues. And while I was organizing them, I got to sneak peeks at them. So it kind of wow. piqued my interest.
1: Actually, before I forget, what is the name of your book, Dr.
3: Dinsis, if our listeners want to look it up? Or um, I, it's, like I want to look it up. So it's the Comparative Anatomy and Histology textbook. The first edition was Mouse and Human Atlas. And then we were asked, asked to do a second edition to include Rat. That's
5: and amazing. I think Dr. Zing has an atlas coming out. Oh, you have one out already, right?
2: Yeah, it came out last fall. It's part of Dr. Arnold's wonderful series. But I had the lovely opportunity of working on the Atlas of Cytopathology. It's
5: stunning. And it's gotten rave reviews. Congratulations, Dr. Z! To already have a book while you're trainee. That is Thank you. Fantastic. That is
4: amazing. That and is while amazing. you're learning to ballroom dance.
5: Oh, <laughs> I love is. it. See, Dr. Hurst, all those writing skills come in handy. That's right. Thank you, everyone, for being on our show. This has been been so
1: much fun. I have learned a lot about not just who you are as people, but about veterinary pathology and ballroom dancing and what not to do in Uruguay. So thank you all so very much for being on here with us. Thank Thank you you guys so much for having us and inviting us.
4: Yes, thank you.
1: That's been our PathPod Quiz Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've been one of your co-hosts, Sarah Jang. Uh, My other co-host is Dr. Christina Arnold. See you next
5: time.
1: See you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Support for the free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to (laughs) PathPod.